want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Haggai chapter 2, where we will finish out the book of Haggai. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. So please don't be a, a, afraid to raise your hand. We will be glad to share a Bible with you, and you're welcome to keep it. If you can't find Haggai, it's in, there's a table of contents in the beginning. But we believe the Bible is the word of God. We're just ordinary people. We don't claim to be, you know, some special um, elite group. We just believe God is the living God and the Bible is truth and Jesus is the Lord. So join us as we read and study the Bible. I want to remind you as well, um, if you can, pay attention to some of the upcoming things that we have opportunities for, like there's a prayer service, pre-service, where you can start to pray. Charles Spurgeon used to call that the engine room of the church, where people would pray as the services were going on. There's a fall luncheon for seniors 55 and over coming up. There's a young adults adult fest. There's Sunday school during the first service every week. And then I want to uh, make an appeal here. We're having a trunk or treat next Sunday, or I uh, take that back, next Monday I think. No, it says Sunday, but is Sunday the 24th? Okay, what do I know? So, yeah, okay, I thought the date was wrong. But next Sunday from 4.30 to 6, we try to provide an alternative for our, our kids. We don't want to just tell them what Christians don't do. We don't do this, we don't do that. So we're having a trunk or treat. So, but what we don't want is the children to, to come and only have two trunks. So last year I put out an appeal and a lot more people were willing to decorate their trunk so if you're willing to do that, please contact the church. Let us know that you would be willing to bring your car, fill your trunk with treats, and then allow the kids to have trunk or treat. Pretty simple. All right. The Bible says that Christians should not be ignorant of Satan's schemes, his tricks. The devil's been doing this for a long time. C.S. Lewis said one of his most clever Tactics is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. But once you become a Christian, you recognize, no, he, he's real. And we're in a battle against him. And he has all kinds of ploys. And so interestingly, in chapter 1, we saw uh, in the book of Haggai that the people had neglected to build the temple. In the Old Testament, God's purpose was to build the temple because that was the place where he would be glorified. That was the place that was supposed to attract the nations. That was the place where sacrifice and worship would take place. But they were distracted. They lost their priorities. They said, it's not time. They were procrastinating. And that's one of Satan's ploys. He always, he always encourages us to procrastinate. In fact, they had so lost their priorities, God said, why aren't you building my house? And they said, well, it's not time. He said, well, I notice you're building your house. I saw you on Home Depot buying all that paneled wood, but yet you're not building my house. And sometimes when God's prophets preached in the Old Testament and corrected people, they just were stiff-necked. But in this case, the Bible says the Lord stirred them and they responded. And so Pastor Austin shared with us how God's people began to mend their ways. And so we called this sermon, God's People with Great Purpose. Now, in this age, God's design is not for us to build an elaborate building, but it's to build his church. The Bible says, to him be the glory in the church. And much like back then, even today, there are so many Christians who have lost their, their way in terms of priorities. Well, you know, it's more comfortable to watch 
church online. And we used to teach Sunday school, but you know, it's so hard to get the kids up. And, and plus, I, I have my job, I have my sports. And so, same thing, we lose our priorities. And God calls his people to say, listen, you're not doing me a favor by planting your bottom for one hour in the church. The people of God, every single one of us is supposed to be doing the Lord's work. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, God wants pastors to equip the Christians for the work of service. And so one of the challenges Austin put out last week is what specifically are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing to help to build his church? And it doesn't mean you have to preach, but if you're a Christian, think about that. So here's the devil discouraging or trying to get us to lose our priorities. But then God's people turned to the Lord and they began to follow him. And now the devil comes around the other side and starts to discourage them. Have you ever changed your ways and tried to do what's right only to find that things felt like they were getting worse? You're trying to obey God, but you're, you're not seeing any results. You determined to be nicer to your spouse, and instead of them being nicer to you, they're walking all over you. You watch an encouraging movie like Fireproof, and you take the love dare, and you're going to do this for 30 days, but it doesn't work. You buy that great book on parenting, Seven Ways to Have Great Christian Kids, and you tell the kids we're going to have devotions every day, and doesn't doesn't kind of pan out quite the way you expected. Maybe, maybe you're teaching Sunday school and the kids are all over the place and you're like, I don't feel like it's getting anywhere. The devil is very good at discouraging us or trying to, to cause us to be discouraged. So there are so many verses in the Bible that call us to take courage. In fact, the word discouragement means a loss of enthusiasm. And we use this phrase, don't give in to discouragement. And I would imagine that there are a number of you here today that are discouraged. I mean, how can, how can you watch the news and not be discouraged with our nation, with the world, with the divisiveness? This year has been a discouraging year, hasn't it? Health-wise, you know, politics, churches. This church has gone through a discouraging and difficult time. So, as we've come out of that, what, what's really cool about Haggai chapter 2 is now that the people began to work, just a few weeks after, the, maybe a few months after they started to build the temple, they're discouraged. And so we're going to look at this passage and see two simple things. Number one, we're going to see the reason for their discouragement and then God's remedy for their discouragement. So let's pray and then we'll look at verses 1 through 3 where, where we find out why are they discouraged. Father, thank you for this time. May you bless your word and may we figure out what might be discouraging us or others around us. And may you lift us today through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Seventy years earlier, when they first built the, or when they were still in the old temple, Solomon's temple, that thing was, that thing had bling. I mean, it was, it was a nice gig. Full, it was even the walls were gold. It was gigantic. So this time when they were rebuilding the temple, it was a real downscale. It was like 
moving from a six-bedroom house into a little apartment. It was the opposite of the, the Beverly Hillbillies. It was the opposite of, of George Jefferson moving on up. This is moving on down. And so as they began to rebuild this temple... Even the dimensions were so much smaller that the Bible says the old people who saw it began to weep. They're like, that's it? <laughs> so they're discouraged. Let's read. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. Speak to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Speak to the remnant of the people and ask them, Hey, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Now, we, we know from the book of Nehemiah that the answer to that is they wept. Do you remember the old house we lived in before we had to, to, to go bankrupt? And how's the, like, did you just ask that God? Hey, how, how do you like how do you like the new temple? Even God agrees with him. Doesn't, seem, doesn't it seem to you like nothing in comparison? Doesn't it just feel like a piece of junk? Doesn't it feel like a, a little scale of, of the big thing? And so God comes alongside of them and he sees their discouragement. And you know what's cool? The Bible actually says in the book of Romans that God is the God who gives encouragement. God wants to encourage us. He, he sympathizes. He gets it. He realizes the reason for their discouragement. In Zechariah, Zechariah was, was preaching at the same time in the same way. And he goes, who has despised the day of small things? And so the reason why they were discouraged is it just seemed like nothing's happening. This little thing, this is, this is so, it's not like the good old days. So the rest of this chapter is God's remedy for their discouragement. And what's really interesting is the book of Romans says, whatever was written in former times was written for our encouragement, that the God who gives perseverance and encouragement can encourage us. So as we read this story, we're like, ah, this was way back then. But it's relevant for us because God is speaking to his people today and he's saying this, if you are surrendered to me, if you're trusting me and trying to follow me, if you're involved in the Lord's work, don't be discouraged. Now, I qualify that because some of you are not following Christ. You have not turned back and surrendered. Be discouraged until you repent. But if you have, let's look at these reasons why God wants his people to be encouraged. And he's speaking to you and me. He speaks right out of his word. So the first reason why God's people should be encouraged is because he has promised a special sense of his presence. Look what he says in verse 4. But now take courage. Literally in, in Hebrew that means be strong. Take courage, Zerubbabel. Here's my remedy, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua. And all the people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work. Well, Lord, we're discouraged. He goes, no, here's why. For I am with you. I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. That's an interesting phrase, the promise of God's presence, because didn't Jesus say, I am with you always? Nod your head. He did. Great commission. Doesn't the Bible say, 
Jesus is always with me. So then why do we pray this? Lord, as I go to do this, would you be with me? You think Jesus is up there saying, excuse me, we already talked about this. I'm already with you. There's a difference between the Lord always being with me and the Lord being with me. You say, well, what's the difference? When we're not walking with the Lord, he's still with you, but not in the same way that he's with you when you are walking with him. The Bible will say, and the Lord was with so-and-so, and he blessed him. The Lord was with so-and-so, and his hand was upon him. And so the Lord is reminding them that, that right now, he is with them in a special way. He is with them in a way he's telling them, look, my personal presence is in your midst. I want to enjoy my relationship. You and I are at peace. You and I are on the same page. You're taking my yoke upon you and you're walking with me. And so be encouraged. Maybe the kids aren't obeying. Maybe your spouse isn't nice, but Jesus is going, but I'm with you. The Bible says, don't covet, don't let your way of life be free from the love of money. He goes, because the Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If we have Jesus in that way, we have everything. In fact, even though the Lord is present everywhere, isn't he present more specially in heaven? That's why it's going to be so precious when we see him. So the Lord goes, look, don't be discouraged because I'm with you. The presence of the Lord is with you. But number two, he goes, the second reason I don't want you to be discouraged is the spirit of the Lord is working in the midst of you. Look at verse five. As for the promise which I made you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Why does God remind his people at this time that the spirit of the Lord is in their midst working? Because if God's spirit doesn't do the work, pardon my grammar, but ain't nothing going to get done that matters for eternity. We can have a lot of programs, we can have a lot of bling, we can have a lot of dog and pony shows, but at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to count for eternity is when the Spirit of God works in our midst. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we're discouraged, we're not seeing anything, and we don't realize like the Spirit of God is invisible like the wind, and He's working in ways that we have no idea. In fact, there's a really cool para parallel to this verse in Zechariah chapter 4 because Zechariah is dealing with the same thing. The people are like, this isn't going to work. How are we going to do this? We don't have the resources. There's all this rubble. And God says, listen, not by might nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. So let me remind you that, that the spirit of God is the one who builds his church and he works through people and he works as we surrender and depend on him. So hopefully this will encourage you and remind you and me to pray for the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Pray that the Spirit of God will wake people up. I, 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 I'm stunned how many... I, every week the pastors and staff are going, I don't even know half these people. People are streaming into the church. I'm having conversations with people, seeing them come to Christ. God's Spirit is at work. Let's not forget that. So in the midst of all these discouraging things, the Lord says, my spirit is at work. And sometimes he can't work in the same way in a church because they're quenching the spirit. He can't work the same way in your life if you're grieving the spirit. 
But when you surrender to the Lord and you trust him and you seek to obey him, in a special way, you are filled with the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And you can be confident that it's not your ability, but it's God's or it's, not, it's God's ability through your availability. Just allow him, say, Lord, let your Holy Spirit work through me. Let your Holy Spirit give me the words to say. Let your Holy Spirit give me the strength. Let your Holy Spirit give me the ability. My brother told me a funny meme he just saw. He said, this mother had five kids all having a meltdown at once. And so she began to go, Holy Spirit, activate now. Holy Spirit, activate now. Holy Spirit, activate now. If that doesn't happen, it's going to get messy, right? And so as Christians, we have to learn that. We have to learn to walk in the Spirit. It's not, come on, we could do this like a great football rally. Let's go out there and love people. Let's go out there and overcome sin. No, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's be praying that the Spirit of God will do miracles in our church, healing people, saving people, restoring marriages, delivering addicts, bringing parents and kids back together. Let's think big. Let's expect great things from God. My brother told me something last night. I had no idea. Years ago when I first got saved, I was probably saved for one month. And I witnessed to this guy who got baptized and then lost his way, went back to drugs and alcohol. But some years after that, he called me up. He said, hey, thanks for witnessing to me. I know I went back to my alcohol stuff, but I want you to know I'm really a Christian. My brother said, hey, did you, did you uh, know about him? He's, he's in Florida now. He's a pastor. What? You never know. God's spirit is working in our midst. So God goes, take courage. Don't be afraid. Work. So number one, The presence of the Lord is with them. Number two, the spirit of the Lord is working. Number three, the future of the Lord's people is glorious. God's like, you're too myopic. You're sitting here looking at this little temple and going, (laughs) and he's going, look up. If the outlook's not good, try the uplook. Think long term. Don't get preoccupied with what's happening right now. So look how God... God turns and says, listen, don't just think about right now. He's telling them to be encouraged. Why? Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens. I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake the sea. I'm going to shake the dry land. I'm going to shake all the nations. And they will come with the wealth of the nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I shall give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now what in the world is that talking about? Like... I I picture one of those little Christmas things that you shake and the snow comes down like, what is this, I'll shake everything? Well, first of all, in that context, when they thought about something like that, they thought about earthquakes. And, And they understood that earthquakes were God's supernatural intervention in life. In the 8th century, there was a great earthquake spoken of by the prophet Amos. And in fact, God has earthquakes even in our time, in the early 1920s or Right around there, there was a great earthquake in, in 
California in San Francisco. And a man began to pray for, for these devastated people. And he, and he printed 70,000 tracts. And he handed out 70,000 tracts telling people he thought that this earthquake was God's judgment to call them to repentance and revival. And that became the foundation of what was known as the Azusa Street Revival, which lasted for 10 years. And even though there were some weird things that, that came on the extremities of that, that, that became the foundation of the modern Pentecostal movement. And there's no question that God powerfully used that earthquake and his people to bring great revival. He can still do that. And so he says, listen, one day, I know you're gone. We don't have any more money on our credit card to, to, to get good gold stuff from Lowe's. And God's going, don't worry about that. Some of you are going, how am I going to pay my bills? I, I don't, I, I, things are slim. Look what verse 8. God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. So don't get all worried about how am I going to pay my bills. If God is for you and God is with you and you're doing God's will, you take care of what's important to God. And he says, I'll take care of what's important to you. He said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and these other things will be added to you. But what's he talking about this great, glorious future temple? Well, I encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor John's two sermons prior to this. This is pointing us forward to the eternal kingdom of God with the presence of God on earth, with the people of God being the temple and God being with us in this beautiful eternal relationship in which we'll have no more troubles. And so God says, and in that place, I'll have peace. So you might say, I'm lacking peace right now. Well, ride it out with prayer, but look forward to this glorious future. So God goes, I know you're discouraged, but my presence is with you. My spirit's working among you. The future of, of my people is glorious. And then, as, as if that's not enough, he says, let me give you another reason. He says, my blessing is back. I'm back. You say, well, what are you talking about? There's a simple principle in the Bible that when we trust and obey God, he wants to bless us. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. For then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's thinking about how to trust and follow God, and it says, and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water. God blesses obedience. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet in the upper room, they were like, wow, what just happened? He goes, you call me your teacher and Lord, and I am. But if I wash your feet, you should wash one another's feet. He said, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you know them. No, he didn't. He said, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You say, well, pastor, I, I read through the Bible. I, I go through the Bible every year. Well, frankly, God's more important of more concerned about whether the Bible goes through you and me every year. What difference has it made? James chapter 1 says, so what? You read the word of God? What good is it, he says, if you hear the word and you're a forgetful hearer? He said, but if we're a careful doer of the word, this man will be blessed in what he does. God blesses obedience. And so what he's telling his people is, remember how you lost my blessing 
because of your disobedience. Now he's encouraging them. My blessing is back because of your obedience. In other words, as we read this passage, he's going to simply say, you lost my blessing because of sin, and you now have my blessing because of surrender. But he does it in an unusual way. Back then, the, the, the priests were supposed to give instructions from the Word of God. Malachi chapter 2 says, the lips of a priest should speak knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he's a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so as a pastor, I hope that all of us in spiritual leadership, we won't go, well, here's what I think. We'll say, if, if the Bible addresses it, here's what God says. So, <clears throat> back then they would ask priests, well, what should we do? Can you give us a ruling on this? So, so look what the Lord says in verse 10. On the 24th of the ninth month, this is about three weeks later, <clears throat> in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask now the priests for a ruling. So they get a group of priests together. They say, guys, we need you to weigh in the, the Supreme Court. You know, tell, tell us, what do you think about this? If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment. And you're like, what is that talking about? Remember back then they would have sacrifices. And then they would cut up portions of the meat that was set apart to God. And some of it was to, to be offered and some of it was to be kept. So this set apart holy meat, if he's carrying it, he says, if he touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine or oil or any other food, will it become holy? In other words, can, can you transfer holiness to another object? The priests gather together and they go, no. Verse 13, okay. Haggai says, how about this one? If if someone who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? In other words, back then, if you touched a dead body, you, you were considered unclean for a time. It wasn't sin itself, but it was a, a visualization. To be unclean would be unable to be directly in the presence of the Lord until you were cleansed. So the question is, if an unclean person touches someone else, do they become unclean? What's the ruling, priests? If one who is unclean touches a curse, and they said, yep, it will become unclean. Was it something I said? <laughs> <laughs> then Haggai answered and said, now look, God's talking to them now. He goes, they're like, what are you talking about? He goes, so is this people. And so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. What they offer there is unclean. It wasn't that they weren't religious. It's that they weren't trusting and obeying God. This is what we call hypocrisy. Hey, I went to church. God's going, yeah, but what were you doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? He goes, coming to church, singing a couple songs, dropping a couple bucks in the plate. That's not what it means to be right with God. And so he said, the reason that you weren't being blessed is because you weren't trusting and obeying me. I wasn't first in your life. And so everything you did was unclean. And that's why I didn't bless you. Verse 15. But now, he says, consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed upon another in the temple, from that time when one came to a grain heap of 20 measured, there's only 10. When you came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there'd only be 20. You're like, wow. 
God said, I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you didn't come back to me, declares the Lord. I was talking to somebody yesterday, not from this church. They said, yeah, my friend down in Florida has been married 37 years. She found out her husband's been having an affair for at least the last 12 years. And she said, but he's a Christian. I said, I'm not going to say he's not a Christian. But I'll tell you this. If he's been having an affair for 12 years and God hasn't tweaked him, God hasn't spanked him, God hasn't dealt with him, then that's a cause for concern. Hebrews chapter 12 says, all of God's children, he disciplines us so that we might share in his holiness. In other words, God doesn't go, I just love you like you are. He's like, you're my children. I love you too much to leave you as you are. We need to learn to trust and follow me. And if you're a Christian, you, you, this resonates with your soul. God's like, we can do this the easy way or the hard way, right? You can surrender to me, trust and follow me, or I'm going to discipline you because I love you. And God speaks gently to us. But we all know at times he spanks us, right? He might touch our health. He might take something away from us. This is biblical discipleship, understanding that if I persist in my sins, God's going to do what he needs to do to get my attention. Oftentimes I'll hear of young parents say, I put little Billy in bed and he gets right out of the bed. I don't know what to do. Imagine if God worked that way. I told my children to obey me, but they won't obey me. I don't know what to do. The Bible says, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So he's reminding his people, because of your disobedience, I had to put my heavy hand upon you. I couldn't bless you. And if you're a believer and you've been kind of off key with God, you know. David said it this way, when I kept quiet about my sin, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. When we harbor sin in our hearts, anger, bitterness, lust, pride, whatever, God can't Put his blessing on us. He removes his joy. Remember King David, he's like, I committed adultery. I committed murder. But when he wrote his confession, he said, Lord, he said, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what Austin was reminding us. When we get right with God and we're following God, there's a blessing, there's a joy, there's a peace. So David finally advised us in Psalm 32. So he said, learn from me. Don't be like a horse or, or a mule that God has to drag along with a bridle. But if you're a Christian, God will drag you along. If he doesn't drag you along, then that ought to cause you to be more fearful. Because the book of Hebrews says, if you are without discipline, you are illegitimate. You're not a child of God. So don't be mad or sad or feel had if God will not let you do your thing and disobey him. Be glad. I'm thankful that the Lord loves me too much to let me just do what I want. But he deals with me in love to get me to do what he wants because it's for my good and his glory. We're allowed to be glad about that. Could I hear amen? Thank you, God. Those whom the Lord loves. So he says, look, I, I, I had to discipline you. But verse 18, he says, but now from this day forward, consider this. When the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree? It hasn't borne fruit yet. So this was written in the winter. And for the last 20 years, the harvest was awful. And every year they're like, I hope this one's better. <clears throat> and it wasn't. 
But God says, you know how you got all the seed in the ground there and you're waiting for next year? He goes, mark this down. Now that you're surrendered to me, look at verse 19. From this day on, I'll bless you. I'm back. My blessing is back. And so this morning, if you've lost your way and you can't understand why the hand of the Lord isn't with you, think maybe it's because you've lost your way. But if you are trying to follow the Lord, then he says, don't be discouraged. I'm with you. And then he throws one in here that's like, like crazy. I'm like, what? He takes Zerubbabel. So, so the two key players at this time were Zerubbabel and Joshua. So Zerubbabel was the governor. Joshua was the high priest. So you've got this kind of king and you've got this kind of priest. And in the Old Testament, the king and the priest were two separate offices. Right? But we know from the Bible that it was God's intention to one day send the Messiah who after being crucified would rise again and those two offices of king and priest would come together in the person of Jesus. And so the Bible teaches us that the Old Testament is always pointing us to Christ. And I'm going to suggest that the last encouragement that God gives is this. He wants us to see that ultimately, beginning in verse 20, let me read it to you, the ruler of the coming world will be Jesus. If there's anything that discourages us is looking at what's going on right now. This place is out of control. This world's out of control. But God goes, relax. We just saw in Revelation, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. You say, Pastor, I don't see the name Jesus in here. Look at verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, speak now to Zerubbabel. So before he said, speak to the people. Now he said, bring Zerubbabel out here for a minute. He says to Zerubbabel, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. And I will destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders will go down. Every one by the sword of another. Now ultimately this is a long term prophecy. Of how God's going to overthrow all the nations. <clears throat> which we already saw in the book of Revelation. But then he says to Zerubbabel. On that day. Declares the Lord. I will take you Zerubbabel. Son of Shealtiel my servant. Declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring. Now, you remember that the king had a signet ring. It had his seal on it. He didn't take that off, right? He didn't lay it up on the counter because if somebody got hold of that, it could be very ugly. And so God says to, to Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a signet ring in the future on that day. And you say, well, I thought that was just talking about Zerubbabel. Well, well the magnitude of the promises are too great to limit it to Zerubbabel. You say, well, are you sure, Pastor Tom? So the last verse I want us to look at is in Zechariah chapter 6. Turn over there as we close and then we'll draw some applications. In Zechariah chapter 6, God does the same thing except this time he pulls aside Joshua. So he pulls aside Zerubbabel, he makes these great promises of overthrowing all the nations and you're going to be the man. Then he takes Joshua and he does the same thing. But here more clearly we can see that what God's ultimately saying is, you two guys who are living right now, you are symbols and types 
of my great son Jesus who will one day be the king priest of God's people. Look at Zechariah chapter 6, verse 10. Take an offering from the exiles. Verse 11. Take the silver and the gold and make an ornate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. And I can imagine Zechariah going, no, 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 hang on, God, no, no, I wait, my time. You don't put the crown on the priest's head. You put the crown on the king's head. And God goes, did I stutter? Put the crown on the priest. Because I'm trying to illustrate something about my son. Verse 12. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts. Behold, a man whose name is Branch or Sprout. For he will branch out from where he is. And he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he. Let's talk about Jesus. Who will build the temple of the Lord. And he who will bear the honor. And he who will sit and rule on his throne. Thus, now look here. He will be a priest on his throne. A priest on a throne? Wait, what? Put a little note next to that. Jesus. Our priest is now on the throne. And that should encourage us, right? Who can help me with my sins? The other day at this wedding, some, somebody asked me for some advice. It has nobody with this church. You don't know anybody there. But somebody pulled me aside and said, can I talk to you? And there were two other guys and, and my, um, one of my relatives from my wife's side, he goes, what are you, Father Tom, taking confessions? And I said, hey, listen, you don't need to confess to me. You go to Jesus. He's the great mediator. He's the great high priest. He's the one who can pronounce you clean the moment you repent and trust him. So what an encouraging chapter. God goes, I know you're discouraged. But he says, my presence is with you. My spirit's working. You got a glorious future. My blessing's back. And one day Jesus is coming again. You say, well, that was, that was scintillating. Pastor Tom, thank you for stimulating my intellect. Now I want to grab your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want God to grab my heart. If back then the temple of the Lord was the source of blessing, I can promise you today the source of God's blessing and the place of God's glory is the local church. Messed up as it is, it's the local church. It's not some parachurch college ministry. It's not CCEF. It's not the rescue mission. It's the local church. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, God can do beyond all that we ask or think according to his power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church. So shout it out to everybody, including you online. God wants his people to be involved in a church. I, I, I can't even understand how in American culture there are so many people go, oh yeah, I'm a believer, I just don't go to church. Well, are you part of a church? No, I, I, you know, I, I'm more of a Burger King Christian. I do it my way. God wants his church to come together. And I realize some of you are online for medical reasons, but if it's just because you're in your pajamas and you're comfortable, this is what you're doing, stop it. And get involved. It doesn't have to be this church, but get involved. And if you come to church, get involved in church. Pastor Austin's eagerly waiting. He is right now. He's at that back table waiting for you to come and say, hey, how can I get involved? I promise you, he's not going to rope you into something that he, you don't want to do. But we're trying to help God's people. And there's plenty more things beyond that. So a couple things. Number one, stop and ask yourself, what's been discouraging you lately? 
I almost, I, 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 I came this close to doing that. I was going to say, is anybody, don't do it. Is anybody here discouraged today? Just stand up if you're discouraged. I can't. No, 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 don't do it. But, but, but that's why I didn't because I knew, I knew. So what if I said, are you discouraged in your marriage? And, and one of you stands up, the other one's like, get down. All right, so, are you discouraged with your health? Are you discouraged with the country? Are you discouraged with your kids? Are you discouraged with your job? There's a lot of things to be discouraged about. But God's saying, I'm the God of encouragement, so leave here if you're trusting me in courage. Secondly, the book of Hebrews picks up on that little verse, I will shake the nations. At the end of chapter 12, God says, since we have a kingdom that will not be shaken, let us serve God with gratitude and all. So God's going to shake this whole world like a little rag doll. But the Bible says to Christians, since we are going to receive a kingdom, let us serve God with reverence and all. So ask yourself, what does that look like? Third, if, you, if you're trusting the Lord and surrendering to him, the devil might be smacking you around, but don't live in a spirit of condemnation. God says, I'm with you. You're forgiven. No condemnation. You're like, yeah, but Pastor Tom, nope. You say, God, what about that sin? He goes, nope, I told you I will remember them no more. So trust the Lord. He is with you. He has forgiven you. His hand is upon you. He delights in you. He's not, he's not disappointed and wants to get rid of you. Another thing that, that struck me was the necessity. We, we say often that we're making disciples. Those of you who are discipling people, get them ready for this. I led a guy to Christ one time. He goes, you know what, pastor? It feels like things have gotten worse since I became a Christian. Now, in the grand scheme, well, let's, let's think bigger than that. You're going to heaven and not hell, so ultimately it's not worse. But his circumstance got worse. And I want to remind you, this is what Paul did. In 1 Thessalonians 3, he goes, when I was with you, I didn't want you to get upset by afflictions. I kept telling you in advance that you're going to suffer afflictions. So you can go online and have somebody tell you, God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy and wise and everything perfect. Or you can listen to the Bible, which says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So if you're discipling your kids or your friends or you're in a Bible study, we ought to expect to be discouraged. So please stop going to Bible study every week going, how are you? Fine, fine, everything's fine. You don't have to be fine. You can actually be honest and say, I'm discouraged. And maybe someone's going to come alongside and encourage you. Hopefully God came to your heart today to encourage you. And then one last thing I thought about. The good old days. Oh, Pastor Tom, the good old days. Remember the good old days? Back then, and we always make it harder. Like I tell my kids, we didn't even have water. I had to take two molecules of hydrogen and oxygen, you know. <laughs> we always have some story about the good old days. You know what? Listen to this verse in Ecclesiastes 7. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For that is not wise that you ask about this. Somebody told me something this week. I thought, that's good. He said, did you ever notice that a windshield's bigger than a rearview mirror? So let's stop looking back and going, whoa, the good old days. And let's look forward to better days. And blessed days and God's blessing on us as families and individuals and on our church 
And for some of you, I don't know what you're waiting for. But if God's speaking to your heart, will you please, for Jesus' sake, turn to him. Repent and trust him. And publicly say, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your wonderful word. You've spoken to us. You are the God who gives encouragement. The great high priest and King Jesus is building this church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Please forgive us for all of the ways that we give in to discouragement, the ways that we doubt, the ways that we lose our priorities. Awaken us, Lord. Give us your blessing and your joy. Remind us that if God be for us, who can be against us? For those who are discouraged this morning, whatever it is, May you touch them personally and lift them up and let them know that you're with them. And Lord, whatever corrections that we need to make, give us the strength. For you told us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So as your people, Lord, as we leave today, may we be blessed and may we encourage one another and may we build this church for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Be sure to say hi to somebody you don't recognize this morning. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.